Welcome to Denton North. Good morning. I'm glad you guys are all joining us and I love seeing all of your faces. Thank you for unmuting. I mean, unmuting. Thank you for turning your video on so I can see you. I love that. Um, I just wanted to start by reminding you this morning uh, to check in on each other. Think about as you're looking at the screen today, like who you uh, are missing, who you see that's not with us this morning and make a point to check on them this week and see how things are going and if they need anything. And if any of you need anything, or if you talk to someone that you know does, contact me or Brad or Don or Kurt and let us know, because um, we are here to help. That's what we're here for. So just a reminder about that. I don't want you guys to forget that, to be checking on each other and let us know if there are needs. We're going to continue on in our sermon series today on Isaiah, Hope, and Tragedy. And this morning, the story that we're looking at is from Isaiah 36 and 37 and from 2 Kings 18 and 19. And I would just encourage you to take the time, if you haven't already, to read through those. This is a really powerful um, story, and there are so many things that we can learn from it that there's no way we can talk about all of them this morning. So just take the time um, to do that. And I'm going to start us off with a prayer, and then we'll jump in. And God, I just thank you for your word. I pray that uh, the words that come from my mouth would speak truth about your word and would speak your message to us this morning. I pray, God, that your name will be glorified uh, through what we say and do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first week we talked about uh, the first principle, which was when we don't listen to God, we listen to the wrong people. And the players in that story were Ahaz and Assyria versus Israel and Syria. And then the second week we our principle was when we don't seek help from God, we seek help from the wrong people. And the story that week involved King Hoshea and Egypt. And so this morning, the principle that we're going to look at is asking God for help and trusting him keeps us from fear of others. Asking God for help and trusting him keeps us from fear of others. And honestly, I wanted to read this entire story because it's so impactful. Um, but I've chosen to read just a few parts of it, and I'm going to reference and summarize other parts. Again, there's so much here that I am concerned about it being choppy. So just hang in there. Um, if it is choppy, if you get lost, hopefully you'll get found again as we go along. So um, let's dive in. So just a summary of the first part. Remember that the kingdom of Israel has been split into two parts. The northern kingdom, which is still called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And the northern kingdom has already been captured by Assyria, and so it no longer exists. It's just Judah. And Judah's exposed now because the northern kingdom has been taken over by Assyria. And so Assyria is, there's nothing between Judah and Assyria now. So Assyria is this ruthless superpower. They've already conquered Israel. And then they've attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and they've captured them. And so now they're standing at the door of Jerusalem. 
Okay, so remember that Jerusalem is the capital of Judah, the southern kingdom, and it's the only city of Judah left. So if Assyria is successful in destroying them, they will have destroyed Judah as a nation. And so these are the desperate times that we find King Hezekiah in, and we're going to look at how he dealt with this. In chapter 18 of 2 Kings, I want to read verses 5 and 6, because I think it's going to show a contrast here between Hezekiah and between King Hoshea. And so it says this, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the, man, the commands the Lord had given to Moses. And then in verse 12, we see a description of Hoshea. So it's talking about how the king of Assyria has deported Israel to Assyria. And then it says this, this happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant, all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. And so what we see here is that Hezekiah held fast to the Lord. He did not stop following him. He kept his commands and he rebelled against the king of Assyria. What we see with Hoshea is that he quit listening to God, he didn't follow God's commands, and he looked elsewhere for help. In his case, it was Egypt that he looked to help from. So the question I think we want to ask ourselves is, what is at the heart of this difference? What's the difference between um, trusting God and between trusting in other things? And I think the very first sentence of verse five tells us, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. Trust is what makes the difference here. And we often succumb to and react to our fears. And it appears that Hezekiah may have done this early on. Um, when Assyria attacked and captured the cities of Judah, Hezekiah offers to pay the Assyrian king to basically withdraw and leave them alone. He kind of takes matters into his own hands. And we have voices that are speaking to us, telling us to be afraid, telling us to be very afraid. And we can either choose to trust God or we can choose to react to our fears. And when we react to our fears, it can cause us to lash out at other people who are different from us, to people that are immigrants, to people that aren't Christians, to people of a different race. It can create an us against them mentality. Fear can cause us to become workaholics and to become academic overachievers. It can cause us to overspend and spend money on things we don't need. Fear just makes us believe that our security comes from something or someone other than God. And Hezekiah experienced this. He gave in to the fear of this superpower that was so ruthless. And his fear made him believe that his security was in his control of the situation, like he needed to take control and do something with Assyria. But the great thing about Hezekiah is he didn't let it stop there. That's not where it ended. 
If he had, we would be reading a story about just another king and a long line of kings who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But that's not Hezekiah's story. Instead, he goes on to ask God for help and he trusts him. And I think as we talk through this this morning, we'll find that we have a lot to learn from his example. I'm going to read 2 Kings 18, 17 through 19, 1. 2 Kings 18, 17 through 19, 1. And it says this, The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Now this is something that we need to take note of because we've been at this exact location before. We've been at this exact location with King Ahaz, who is Hezekiah's father. And at this location, Isaiah met him and warned him not to trust Assyria. And so now we're back here with his son Hezekiah with Assyria threatening him and the kingdom of Judah. They called for the king and the king sends his three leaders out to meet with the leaders of the king of Assyria. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. And this is um, intimidation right here. So basically, the field commander has called King Hezekiah just Hezekiah. He's called him just by his first name, like he's not important. There's nothing threatening about him. I have no respect for him. But the king of Assyria, he calls the great king, which is basically saying the king of Assyria is the one and only true king. And so he's instilling fear in them that your king is not the real king our king is. This is what the king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah in Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? And so here the field commander reveals his ignorance of Hebrew theology because he thinks that Hezekiah removed the altars of the Lord. But Hezekiah in a call to spiritual revival removed the altars of Baal and removed the altars of the false god. And so what we see here is that this field commander that's so threatening them doesn't know as much as he thinks he does. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, I've come to attack and destroy this place. Have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. 
So again, just blasphemy after blasphemy, intimidation after intimidation. And so then the three leaders that King Hezekiah sent out say to him, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. The field commander's been speaking to them in Hebrew, which all of the people understand. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. So get this picture in your mind. The people of Judah are all watching and listening to this interaction. They're sitting on the wall that protects their city and they're listening to this man give the message from King Sennacherib and intimidating them, telling them, I don't know why you're listening to Hezekiah. I don't know why you're depending on the Lord. And he's speaking to them in their language so that they can understand everything he's saying. But the commander replied, was it only to your master in you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall who like you will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? And so again, he's threatening them. And he's saying, I didn't just come to talk to the leaders. I came to talk to the people too. And this is what's going to happen to you if you don't um, surrender to us. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, in their language, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. And so he's telling them, if you listen to Hezekiah, you're gonna wind up eating your own excrement and drinking your own urine. But if you surrender to me, life is gonna be great. I'm gonna take such good care of you. I'm gonna give you all the food you need, all the wine you need. I'm gonna give you vineyards to work. Um, he's promising them that he will take care of them. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim, Hena, and Iva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And so basically he's saying, do you not know what I've done? Have you not seen what I did to all these other cities and peoples? God didn't save them. God wasn't able to save them. So why would you think he can save you? He's attacking them at the heart of what they believe. But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, king, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph the recorder, went to Hezekiah, again, his three leaders, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. 
When King Hezekiah heard all this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. So the first point I want to make on this is that in the face of great fear and intimidation, we don't have to cower. We need to go to God for help. So we don't have to cower. We need to go to God for help. And we see in chapter 19 that when Hezekiah approaches God, he's going to take two different approaches. So first, he's going to ask Isaiah to pray for him and for the nation of Judah, for the remnant. And that's like us going to other people and asking them to pray for us. And it shows us that prayer can be a communal thing, that we can pray powerfully for one another, and that that's a good and acceptable way to pray. And secondly, he goes to God directly, and he prays alone. And again, it's showing us that prayer can also be individual, and that we can approach God on our own, and that that is powerful and effective as well. So both types of prayer are appropriate, and this tells us that in times of tragedy and fear, we can approach God with our community and with other people praying for us, and we can also approach God alone. I love the story here of Hezekiah approaching God alone. And I'm going to read that to you. It's out of chapter 19, verses 14 through 19. So what happens is the king of Assyria sends a letter to Hezekiah that has more threats in it. And so basically, it's just more of the same thing. Hezekiah can't save you. God can't save you you guys are in trouble and we're going to destroy you. And so this is what this is what Hezekiah does with that letter. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. So he spreads this letter out. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And so the first thing that Hezekiah does here is he acknowledges that God is the only God. And basically what he's saying here is, if you're God, then what can you not do? If you're God, then what's beyond your control? Hezekiah is realizing the fundamental fact of all of our theology that God is God and we are not that God is God, and in his particular case, the Assyrians are not. And so what I would ask you today is who or what evokes fear in you? How would you fill in the blank? God is God and blank is not. What would you put there? What is your fear? Is it ice? Is it COVID? Is it your boss or the company that you work for? Is it death? Is it singleness? Is it marriage? What would you put in that blank? So I want you to give that some thought. What fear would you put in that blank that you need to remind yourself, God is God and this thing is not? Continuing on in verse 16, he says, Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. 
Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. And what he's doing there is he's saying, God, look at this. Listen to this. See what he's saying. See what he's saying about you, how he's blaspheming you. Because if God sees and hears, he knows it's in God's character to act because God is a God of justice. And so ultimately what he's doing here is he's asking God to act on what he's seen and what he's heard. In verse 17, he continues, it is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. And so he's acknowledging that God is the true God. He's not one of these idols that are powerless and can't help. He's a God that can actually do something. And so Hezekiah laying this letter before God reminds me of 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's basically what Hezekiah is doing here is he's saying, God, look at this. Look at these threats. Look at this blasphemy. Look at this murderous intent. I'm giving this all to you because I believe you can take care of it. I trust that you can take care of it. When Hezekiah asked Isaiah to pray for him and for Judah, and when he approached God on his own, he really expressed two concerns. The first one was the blasphemy towards God, and the second one was that everyone might know that the Lord alone is God. And the question I would ask you is, how does that compare to your concerns when you experience or see tragedy? Are you concerned about the kingdom? Are you concerned about God's reputation? Are you concerned about your own protection and your own provision? What's your first thought? For me, I think that was a pretty convicting question of what am I the most concerned about? So when you're afraid, don't cower. Rather, ask God for help. The second point is keep your eyes on God, not your fears. Keep your eyes on God, not your fears. We tend to listen to loud voices. We tend to listen to social media. We tend to listen to news outlets. And they tend to we tend to let them define reality for us, the way things are. And we can't let that deny the reality of who God truly is. When our son Kale was in sixth grade, he was at my parents' house one weekend and he was walking on the treadmill and he just passed out. And so on Monday, I took him to the doctor to get him checked out and they wanted to take blood. And as they started taking blood from him, he passed out and he started convulsing. And from that point on, he had a great fear anytime that he had to give blood and he would become so afraid he would just freak out. And so whenever he would start to panic, I would say, Kale, look at me, look, look in my eyes, look at me. Don't look at anything else, look at me. 
And I would just talk to him about what we were going to do afterwards. When this is over, we're going to go to McDonald's. And when we get home, you can play football with your friends in the front yard. And when he would start to look away, I would say, Kale, look at me. Look back at me. Look at me. Let me see your eyes. Look right into my eyes. Jesus did the same thing with Peter in Matthew chapter 14. It was night and the disciples were in a boat and they were out on the lake and they see this figure walking on the water. And so they're afraid. They think it's a ghost. They don't know what it is, but it certainly can't be a human because it's walking on the water. And Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. And so G Peter gets out of the boat, and I imagine that he's looking right at Jesus because Jesus is the one he's walking to. And as he's walking on the water, it suddenly occurs to him, I'm walking on water. And so he starts looking around, and it's very windy this particular night, and so the waves are very big, and he becomes afraid. And he starts to sink and he cries out to Jesus. And I just imagine Jesus saying to him, Peter, look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look at the waves. Look at me and walk to me. And here with Hezekiah and Judah, I think God is saying the same thing. In chapter 19, verses 5 through 7, when Hezekiah's officials go to Isaiah and ask him to pray, this is what Isaiah says back to them. Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down with the sword. See, that's God saying to Hezekiah and to Judah through Isaiah, look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look at Assyria. Assyria doesn't have power over you. I have power over you. I'm on your side. Remember who I am and keep your eyes on me. And guys, that's what God is saying to us as well. He's saying, look at me. Remember who I am. Trust me. Stand firm in the reality of who I am. In 2 Chronicles 32, 6 through 8, Hezekiah encourages the remnant of Judah with these words. He encourages them to keep their eyes on God. Listen to what he says to them. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah the king of Judah said. See, he encouraged them to keep their eyes on God and he reminded them who God is. And as a community, that's one of the biggest privileges and biggest blessings we have is that we get to encourage one another to keep our eyes on God and we get to remind each other who our God is. And it's really hard to do that if you don't know who God is. 
knowing his character and how he's described throughout the word are the ways that we can encourage one another and remind each other who he is. Just for an example, some of the things that I see in scripture, and there are so many of them, that remind us of who God is, is it tells us the Lord saves, that he sees me, that he sustains me, that he brings down the wicked, that he's faithful, that he disciplines, that he's awesome. Those come directly from scripture and there are so many more. So look at God, keep your eyes on him and put your trust in him. In the midst of tragedy and fear, we find hope by asking God for help and by keeping our eyes on him. I want us to divide into breakout groups and I want us to take some time to encourage one another and to remind each other who God is. And so that might be sharing a scripture. It might be sharing something that you've learned from scripture about who God's character is. It might be praying for your group or for someone that's in your group, just a prayer for us to hold fast and stand firm in who God is. It might be sharing how God's been with you through a fear that you faced. Whatever you think the Spirit is telling you would encourage your group, I want you to take some time to share that with each other. And I know that we did something that was similar to this a couple of weeks ago, but I don't know about you, but I need to hear that more than once every few months. I need to hear that on a regular basis and be encouraged and reminded on a regular basis. And I think it's one of the purposes of us meeting together. So we're gonna take some time to do that. And um, before we do, I wanna ask you next week to have bread and juice with you. And we're gonna break out into small groups next week and take communion together. So be prepared for that and tell other people that this week that you know aren't here this morning so they can be prepared. And I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to break out into those small groups. When your small group, take probably 10, 15 minutes. And when your small group is done, you can come back to the big group if you want to, or you can be done from there. If your small group needs to go longer than 10 or 15 minutes, feel free to do that. We'll give you a countdown when we're like, okay, we've got to get everybody out now. Um, so feel free to take as long as you need. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll break out in small groups. And God, I just pray that when we face fears, uh, whether that be fears of other people or fears of situations, I pray that we will ask you for help, that we'll spread out before you the threats of those fears, and that we'll ask you to act, and that we'll trust that you will, and trust that you have the power to do that. Help us to keep our eyes on you, God not to take our eyes off of you and look at our fears, but to keep looking at you and trusting you. And God, I just pray that we would be encouragement to one another during these breakout groups. I pray that your spirit would speak truth to us through one another and through your word, and that we would have something to share with our group to encourage them um, and to and remind them of who you are. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. 
And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.